Before we start the show, I want to thank the thousands of you, the thousands who have read This Book Will Make You Dangerous. Many of you have told me that the book's unique way of exploring fear, confidence, and purpose has had a lasting impact, that it's much easier for you to get clarity and direction about what really matters and what you want to do in this lifetime. It's also amazing to hear that quite a few of you have read it multiple times and even bought copies for friends. So thank you again. Just in case you weren't aware, I created a free companion video course for the book. And in these videos, I walk you through the big takeaways and practices from each chapter. And I even cover some extra stuff that's not included in the book. Information on how to access the course is in newer versions of the book. And if you own an older version of the book and you don't know how to access the course, just hit me up via the contact form at triplinear.com and we'll get you all set up. And one last thing, if you're one of the thousands who have already read the book, please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading. This book will make you dangerous. And now let's start the show. You are listening to the new man beyond the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Your host is men's coach, Trip Lanier. Is the four-hour work week bullshit? Are you less of a man if you don't want to work? And what if that white picket fence standard American dream is dead? Live on the Margin author Nick O'Kelly is here to discuss how he gave up his day job, trades a few hours a month, and travels the globe on a sailboat. Get ready to meet the 21st century slacker. Welcome to The New Man. Today, we're talking with Nick O'Kelly. He's co-author of Live on the Margin, Learn to Love Risk, Profit from Fear, and Retire Tomorrow. Nick, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thank you so much, Tripp. Uh, I'm a big, big, big fan, and I'm you know really happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Right on. And, and you know, just because you're being nice to me doesn't mean I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to push back. So um, you, you've been very flattering in your, in your, in, to be on the show. You've been very good at that. I was like, man, how, how many more emails can I get with this guy telling me how cool the show is before I have to let well, him on? So. I'm not just a BSer. I mean, I've worked in the media for a long time, but I, I really tru- truly believe in what you're doing and, you know, uh, take the actionable lessons to heart. And I also got to say that the way that you produce your podcast is so much, uh, it's so much more attentive to detail than a lot of what I see out there right now. You know, the way that you summarize messages and the way that you uh, interact with your guests, you know, I was just like, oh, I'd be honored to be on your show. So again, thank you so much. All right, cool. Well, thank you. Thanks a lot, man. I'm, I'm, <laughs> now I'm blushing. And, uh, but I want to, you know, when I first got the book, you or you, you were telling me about the book, I was like, my first hit was, here's a here's another get rich quick scheme. And, and I, you know, I was immediately kind of braced by it. And I've lost money in the markets and lost money in real estate. And, and I recognize that's because I didn't have a professional mindset about it. I was just dabbling. Um, and so I was cautious to, to bring any attention to this book. So what are we talking about here? Cause you guys are doing kind of a four hour work week thing. You guys, you and, um, is it Patrick? 
Yeah, Pat Schulte. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, so you guys both live on you live on sailboats, and and you guys both travel the world. And he's he's in the, in the VW Bug uh, uh, van, and you guys are kind of living this really low footprint, four hour work week type of 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 life with a lot of freedom. Um, and so I've just seen a lot of bullshit around that, where guys are talking about this kind of stuff, but they don't actually live it. But you guys seem to be living it. So, but you're doing it through yeah. trading in the market. So who are we talking about? Who did you want to reach with this book? Well, first of all, you know, we really hesitated about writing this book for a long time um, because the last thing we want to do is get anybody excited about trading in the markets and, hey, man, you can work a day a month and that's all you need to do because there are high potential profits, but there's high potential loss. So we wanted to be very straightforward in the book and we've got lots of caveats and warnings about, you know, being very tentative about getting into doing something like this. But our basic philosophy is this, that you, if you can couple a low-cost lifestyle, a small footprint lifestyle, uh, with, a, with simple trading strategies, you can live off your trading profits. And what I think we've seen too many people do, especially, you know, like the day traders, is they get into it with you know, stars in their eyes, and they're, let's just say, they're greedy. They want to make too much money. So they take much higher risks than they have to because they have high cost of living. You know, if you got, if you got 100 grand um, and you got a $5,000 nut every month for your lifestyle, you know, you got to make a 60% annualized return to cover your cost of living. That's so what, extraordinary. And what you're saying with the $5,000 for that guy out there that, you know, if he were to actually sit down and look at how much his lifestyle costs from the Starbucks every day to the gym membership, to the car payment, to rent and all that kind of stuff, you add it all up, that's his nut. And that would, you know, he would have yeah. to be, be making an unreal amount of money in the market off of his money to be able to cover himself. Yeah. If you were making a 60% annualized return, you'd basically be outperforming, you know, 90 well, probably 99% of all professional fund managers who have computer algorithms, huge research departments, all that stuff. So that's just not realistic. So our whole idea is if you can get your monthly nut down by living a low-cost lifestyle, perhaps, you know, surfing, you know, off a nice beach in Nicaragua or Belize or something like that, where your monthly nut is maybe a grand, you know, all of a sudden you're the returns you need to see to cover that lifestyle are much lower. So that changes your risk profile. So the book that we wrote is, I'd say, half lifestyle, half trading strategy. So again, we put in lots of warnings about how this is not a get-rich-quick scheme. This is about making just enough money so that you can live the life that you really want. Because at the end of the day, money comes and goes, time just gets spent. Yeah, And if you're just whiling away doing things that you're not crazy about, not particularly happy with the white picket fence, we're just kind of saying, hey, there's another way. Because Pat and I both came from that white picket fence sort of ideal that I think guys our age were, were raised with, you know? 
Yeah, and we do. We are raised with that. It's the plan, right? It's that this is what you do. You get the, you go to school, you get the degree, you get the wife, you you get the house, you get. It's basically this is the, the the standard American dream, right? The, it's sad, yeah. and it is sad. Like, and uh, I was as I was reading your stuff last night, I was like, this is it. It's sad, and I see it on my end with coaching clients that have like you look at them and then, you know they've checked off the lists. They've got the standard totally. American dream. They're not happy. And that's not saying that everybody. Mm-hmm. That has the standard American dream is unhappy, but for a lot of guys, they're unhappy. Like, wait a second, I did all this. I did what I was the, the pl- what the plan called for. Totally. And not only am I <laughs> not happy, but now I'm hemmed in. My lifestyle costs this amount. So anything that yeah. I want, if I want to make a move. I remember talking to a client one time and he was like, yeah, okay. So I, you know, my lifestyle is basically geared around a $250,000 a year. That's my, that's mm-hmm. my lifestyle. It, that's my salary. That's what I'm used to making. My, my wife makes another hundred or whatever. And I was like, wow, you got a lot of space here to play around. But he had, he had less space than the guy that I work with that's broke. Because yeah, totally. he, could, he couldn't afford to make a lateral move unless he was making that same amount. He didn't want to. He was playing not to lose, basically, because he had so much that he was he was carrying with him. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I I certainly don't want to crap all over the um, standard American dream, you know, because that worked for a long time for our parents, right, and our grandparents, and you know, market conditions change and we are living in a new reality. And the challenges that we face are not the same as, as what our forefathers and foremothers, if that's a word, you know, really faced. And if you look at that, you said, you know, 250 plus 100, you know, a $350,000 net income, household income, once you break it down, once you put it down into a budget and a spreadsheet, you can see where all that money goes. And like you're saying, you get hemmed in quick. I mean, just if you look at the bite that Uncle Sam takes, you know, your tax liability, then the actual cost of making money as a professional, you know, some estimates from our data suggest that you're, you could be spending between 28 and about 40% of your net income just on making the money. I mean, if you include the cost of professional licenses, your education, your transportation, your liability insurance, all that stuff really adds up. So, yeah, you're making 350 you know, that's, that's a really healthy amount of money to make. But once you slice it and dice it and you realize you only have, you know, a couple grand at the end of the month, you go, man, why can't I get ahead in life? And yeah. um, all, all that money goes someplace. And I think it's helpful for that guy that's that's maybe he's not he's nowhere near making three fifty right now. He's just trying to get by. He's just trying to get to that next level yeah. up in his life. But he may be thinking, well, if I was just at that level, then I'd be fine. And so it's like, well, hold on, we see something here. Not everybody at that level, and a lot, in fact, a lot of people at the level are really unhappy and they're hemmed in. They're actually not experiencing freedom, which is one of the core. Uh, experiences we want to have in this lifetime. So it sounds like you're you're talking yeah. more to a different mindset. There's a philosophy shift here, um, and you call it the slacker. And, and I remember reading that, and I was like, <laughs> it had this bad connotation. But you're celebrating. You're like, no, this is the slacker. So describe the slacker to me. Well, we kind of redefine it. You know, uh, the origins of the word slacker, you know, go way back to the 1800s. And it, it basically had to do with uh, striking laborers. It was, it was originally people who you know, didn't want to work for the man because he wasn't treating him right. Then it kind of evolved to people who were avoiding uh, the draft or avoiding a military service. And then by the 50s and 60s, slackers were basically synonymous with 
with hippies. And then it was just kind of, you know, slackers were the surfers. And meaning, you know, that if you're a slacker, it wasn't that you just didn't work. It's that you didn't want to work. And we kind of redefine that. And, and we're saying that our slacker just isn't driven completely by this ideal where you're, you're socking away the cash for that 65 years old where you're going to, you know, live out your years in Florida, which is a perfectly nice place to be. But, but you know, that grind really takes its toll. And what we see are people who work really, really hard. And if they hit the actuarial tables, right, and they do live to 65 to retire for, you know, the remaining 15 to 18 years of their life, their body's worn down, you know, they're, you know, they're not in great shape. They're not able to go live that free lifestyle that they could when they were younger. And so we're saying, hey, throttle back, reprioritize, and today's slacker values time over money and freedom over acquisition. And that means that you have to realign your priorities and you have to say, what's my time worth? Not in a dollar figure per hour, but you know, what's my time worth in my life? And so the slacker is much more willing to say, I'm going to forego the brand new car and the big house because I really want to be doing what I want when I want. And another little realization that we came to when we were writing this book was that, you know, when we're, when you're 18, 19, 20 years old, I mean, that's when you are supposed to set off on this path, right? Mm-hmm. Choose your major, choose your trade, get on this track. And then it's just kind of, okay, step one is make some money, make enough for a down payment. Okay, step two, you know, uh, raise a family. Step three, you know, grind away and hopefully move up in your company and that sort of thing. Well, we kind of said, listen, if you're going to redefine your priorities and reprioritize, I should say, then why not step back and say, what if I focused on what I want to do instead of what I want to be? Because choosing your career path at 18 or 19 or 20 years old there's a lot of pressure there. I mean, what do you know, really, when you're 18? Well, I was just going to say that most of the blood in my body was centered in my genitals at that time. So I, I, like, my brain wasn't even functioning properly. <laughs> well, I, I know, I know. But but too often that can you can set onto this path that you feel like defines you. So we're saying step back and being a slacker means having what you are in your profession define who you are as a person. You know what I get about it? Yeah, I think what I I get about it is that, and this is how, you know, I started a company when I was 22, and I knew then that what I really wanted, the the company for me was going to perform a function. It wasn't something that I was. It was, okay, I got this company and I want to set it up a certain way so I can play music and I can travel. And and so it was this thing that allowed me to go do the things that I wanted to do. It was designed that way versus the plan is to become a business owner. And, you know, people like, wow, you're a business owner. And I was like, I never really thought of myself that way. It was just like, yeah, I need to make money in the the business as a way to do that. And now I get to surf and I get to go play music because I'm not good enough to make money doing it. And it's like, you know, but it performed performed a function in my life. And I I think that's what we're talking about. You sit back and you design your life based on your values versus planning on who you think you're going to be. Does that make sense? Yeah, 
Oh, yeah, and it's totally fundamental. I just got to say, you are way ahead of where I was at 22 years old because I was focused on what I wanted to be, and what I wanted to be was a job title. And, it, you know, what I became was a great job title. I became a TV meteorologist, and I, you know, had a great time forecasting the weather. But if you think about what you do versus what you are, what a TV meteorologist does is you work either the graveyard shift or the swing shift, <laughs> you get up in the middle of the night or you go to work at two or three o'clock in the afternoon and work until midnight. Yeah, forecasting the weather is really cool, but what you actually do is put yourself out of sync with the rest of of humanity in a lot of ways. So what you actually do on a day-to-day basis isn't as exactly as much fun, your lifestyle isn't as much fun as, you know, this job title might lead you to believe. And I think there's a lot of careers like that. I, you know, I'm also a pilot and, you know, being a pilot sounds really cool, right? But what a pilot actually does is you sit in a cramped space, breathing dry, recycled air, like everybody in coach, (laughs) waiting to get there. That's Mm -hmm. what you actually do as a pilot. And you talk to a lot of professional pilots and they go, yeah, you know, benefits are okay. pay is pretty good, but it's kind of boring. Yeah. And I have to deal with jet lag and I live in hotels. And so one of the sections of the book we go into great detail about is this focus on design. Um, you know, if you're designing a house and you hire an architect, you know, they don't come in and say, where do you want the fridge? Or, you know, where do you want this window? They ask you questions if they're worth a lick. They ask you questions like, do you entertain a lot? Um, do your kids eat in the kitchen or do they eat in front of the TV? They ask you questions about how your life functions. And then they design the house to meet those functions. And right. so it, these are tough questions. It's a lot easier to say, I want to be a doctor than it is to say, you know, what do I really want to do? on a day-to-day basis. You know what? That's, it's amazing because so many of us have this ideal in our head. We've got this vision of, yeah, this is this is my identity and we see ourselves and it's got nice little twinkly stars around it and a rainbow and you know the angels <laughs> singing and it's like this romantic <laughs> idea of who we are in the world. And what you're saying is like, there's a huge gap between how we see ourselves and we imagine ourselves in that position and then what we do on a daily basis. So I always think of yeah, the guy that, that works- my experience that works in the circus and he's in show business, but he's shoveling, you know, uh, elephant shit at the circus. You know, it's like, you know, yeah, but I'm in show business, you know, and, and but a lot of us aren't thinking about that, especially guys that don't have a lot of blood <laughs> in their brains for whatever yeah, reason. Exactly. And, but, and I think you come to realize that because, you know, you, if you're successful, if you get to where, or you get to be who you thought you wanted to be, once you're there, you look around and it, doesn't matter really as much as you thought it does. I mean, there's the pride in saying that you're a successful lawyer or a successful doctor, but you're still you, you know? And so this focus on what you want to do, in our opinion, uh, is much more important. So when we're thinking about this book, you know, Pat and I have been traveling for 10 plus years. Uh, We basically took our first retirements, you know, when we were in our late 20s. And we realized after doing the white picket fence thing that we wanted to basically live lives of adventure. We wanted to be out traveling, sailing our own boats, 
uh, RVing across continents. You guys are pirates. Just admit it, you're pirates. <laughs> you, guys are... <laughs> you, know, you know who our heroes were? I mean, when we were watching Star Wars, we wanted to be Han Solo, yeah. not, not uh, Luke Skywalker. You know, pirates Scoundrels. Yeah, for sure. Scoundrels, yeah. <laughs> Totally. So when we were thinking, you know, Pat and I have each written uh, a a book each uh, before, and um, we were thinking, you know, what sort of what sort of book could we write that would be helpful to the people who ask us, how do you do it? You know, how do you guys set off for months and years at a time uh, to cross oceans and, you know, visit Pacific atolls and you know, just basically live the slacker lifestyle. So we wanted to answer those questions. And while we would like to say that we, you know, are successful authors and we make all our money off books, the truth is that we trade. We trade, you know, a few times a month. And, you know, that coupled with our low-cost lifestyle just, just does the trick. But there's something, another interesting thing that we found was that the traits that really define those who are willing and able to go off and have true adventures. I'm talking about, you know, putting your life on the line sort of stuff. That sort of mentality also lends its well, it lends itself well to trading in the markets. There's a lot of symbiosis. There. I was going to say that because um, there is this parallel in the book as I was reading about, you know, the risks that you guys take when you're just out on the boat and out at sea and you don't know where you're going to end up and wh- where you're going to be a week from there. Um, that's not for everybody. And the same is yeah. true with, you know, how you guys talk about approaching certain trades and, and decisions in that way. Let's talk about risk because this is really what yeah. it's going to boil down to it. The first part here is let's have a vision, like not just what I want to be when I grow up, but what do I actually want to do on a daily basis? We've got to have that information. And that comes from experience. What do I enjoy doing and what do I want to have this job or this, you know, revenue earning (laughs) stream support myself to do? What's this really all in service of? Um, But then the other part of it is that, okay, now you're going to have to deal with risk. And a lot of us are not wanting to take responsibility. We don't want to take 100% of the risk. We're willing willing to negotiate what we want in, in order for a kind of an illusion of safety. So let's talk a little That's bit a about great risk. That's a great word. Negotiate. You're negotiating with yourself. And first, just to speak to something you just said, you know, figuring out what you really want to do, you know, comes from experience. It also comes from mentorship. It comes from people who have that knowledge and that experience. And to be frank, I'm not just buttering up here from coaches who can help you define that thing for yourself. So yeah, step one is absolutely figuring out what do I really want to do for my life? Because no matter what you do, there are going to be risks. I'm not, not just talking about you know trading in the markets or sailing across the ocean, whatever. There's going to be risks. You're going to have to put yourself out there and you have to have a really solid foundation of knowing that this is worth it, that this is really what I want to be doing. Um, when it comes down to the traits that I think allow people to actually go off and do what they really want to do, responsibility is probably key number one. Um, having the ability to back yourself into a corner and say, I'm the only guy or gal that can push myself forward. And I have found personally in my life so much power just from that situation 
where there is no negotiation, none at all. Mm-hmm. You've only got one choice, and that is to move forward. You have to be willing to put yourself into that position in that situation. And if you'll indulge just a personal story that doesn't really have anything to do with trading or sailing or anything like that, yeah, I, you know, I grew up poor. And when you're poor, one of two things happen. You either kind of roll over and resign yourself to, well, this is the way I was raised and this is, this is what I'm going to be. Or you fight like mad. Mm-hmm. You know that you don't want to be poor and you are willing to do anything, work as hard as it's going to take. Well, up through probably, I don't know, high school or whatever, I was basically the guy who was resigned to, well, you know, um, my parents don't have a lot of dough. I'm not going to have a lot of dough. Might as well just keep moving forward and, I don't know, <laughs> get a job where I can get wherever I can get a job. Yeah. Something interesting happened to me. Um, I decided in college, you know, I wasn't getting good grades. I wasn't even really applying myself. Listen, I can see where this is going. And I made a decision to actually go after something. I always wanted to be a meteorologist. I was like, what's it going to take? Okay, I got to get into math. Okay, I get into grad school, atmospheric and oceanic sciences in Wisconsin. I'm going to pay for this. Teaching. I figured out that I needed to teach undergrads while I was doing my my graduate coursework. Mm -hmm. So being the shy guy from the back of the class, you know, who doesn't even want to raise his hand, yeah, that presents a real problem, doesn't it? Yeah. How are you gonna how are you gonna move forward? So I, you know, get this gig and the professor I'm working for, he's like, you know, I'm heading out of town. I need you to teach the lecture for a couple weeks. Um, you know, of course my heart starts beating, you know, really fast just right. just right then. So anyway, I I step forward, I outline my lectures, you know, I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to get everything right. I'm going to do a perfect job. I show up for my first day of lecture. And unbeknownst to me, my professor had kind of, he kind of lied. He was going to stick around for a day to just see if, if I could hack it. Yeah. So I walk into this lecture hall, totally nervous, just scared to death, really. And there's 250 plus students. And I start doing my thing, and my professor is right there in the front row watching intently, and he starts, like, signaling. He starts pointing to his waist. And I'm just, I just keep going. I'm writing on the chalkboard, all that. And he kind of, like, you know, raises his hand, keeps pointing down to his waist. I look down. My fly is open in front of 250 people. You know, the shy kid from the back of the class, that's about as bad as it can get, right? Yeah. And I looked down, and I don't even know what I did or said, but the whole room just erupted in laughter. It was, it was just about, it was about as embarrassing as it could get. Ugh. But something happened in that moment, Trip, when you don't have any choice. You're in front of the 250 people. Right. They're laughing at you. It's not, you know, he, he, he just made a joke. No, this is a very embarrassing moment. And I don't even know what I said, but I made some sort of joke and they laughed harder. <laughs> and from that moment on, 
I had no fear of crowds. I went on to work in television for over a decade. That's great. Shy guy from the back of class. That's great. And the moral of the story here, this long drawn out story, is that I think there's a lot of value in backing yourself into a corner and then no matter what happens, right or wrong, fighting your way out of it. It can be a real turning point. It's really weird because what you're saying here is that when we back ourselves in a corner, seemingly when we've really screwed ourselves, that's where the real opportunity is for freedom. That there's that yeah. point where we're like, you know what, I'm screwed, I can't go anywhere. But when we do that and we, we bust through something, we, we see that, well, actually... I can do this or, you know, here's what's the worst that can happen. And, and but I, the sense that I get is that that's where the freedom is versus just totally. avoiding that crap throughout life. And that's what we do is we're just, well, better not go down that road, better not do this. And like, where's the danger? Where's the danger versus where do I want to go and what do I want to create? Well, it's a complete uh, misunderstanding of what real risk is because when you're in front of that class of 250 kids and your fly is open, there actually isn't any risk. Nothing is really going to happen here that's going to change, you know, your physical well-being or anything like that. Once you realize that you can make it out of a situation like that, it can be very transformational. And that does allow a tremendous amount of freedom. I tell people all the time, it is so much harder for me to do a recorded piece of any sort. Like, we're recording this. It'll be played back later. I am so much better when it's live Mm -hmm. because there is, you can't, it's off to Mars, man. (laughs) That signals to outer space. Recording is much, much harder because there's always this fallback. If I said something really dumb, I could probably beg and plead for you to, to at least cut it out. But, you know, when it's live and you have no no place to to back up to, it really changes things. And that's what I've found in my adventuring and in my trading is time and time again, when there is no other choice, your instincts take over. Mm-hmm. And you make the right decision. And it may not always work out, but even if it works out 75% of the time, you're way ahead. Compare that to the guy who doesn't take the risk, and he doesn't put himself out there. He's where he was a year ago. I'm glad you shared this story because, you know, on one hand, I could imagine the guys listening. He's like, well, I'm just not one of those guys. You know, I'm not one of the <laughs> quote unquote, those guys that takes risks. And, and what you're saying is like, <clears throat> I wasn't either. You know, but I learned no, through experience no that, and it is through our experience, but if we're unwilling to go down that road and to actually start to take little risks, you know, it doesn't have to, don't, you don't mm-hmm. have to go, you don't have to go to the mall and show everyone your dick now. You just, <laughs> you'll go to jail. So, you just, yeah, it's a really bad idea. Yeah. Don't do that. You know, don't do what Nick does. Just, just, uh, <laughs> come back to what is it that, uh, you know, where's one little risk? I think that's where we're kind of getting back to is like, if you start to find the small risks in your life, life, then that's the way you can build it up so that you may seemingly be taking big risks in other people's perspective, from other people's perspective, mm-hmm. but they're just they're just risks to you. They're at that level where because you've built up to that. You've learned how to manage uh, and deal with risk. Is that fit for your experience? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I see people all the time making decisions to allay their fears that actually lead to much higher risk. I'll give you a couple examples. From the sailing world, <clears throat> you know, people are freaked out about 
going offshore, going out of sight of land, right? Mm-hmm. To sail across oceans, sea monsters and tidal waves and, you know, we could sink and we could die, which, you know, you could, I suppose. Right. What do, what do they do? They sail their boat close into land. They stay within sight of land because seemingly that's the safer bet. Mm-hmm. That, that, you know, somehow gets rid of some of their fear. Well, that totally is ass backwards because it's land that sinks boats. It's when you collide with, you know, it's when you collide with shore or rocks. That's what will kill you. Or other boats so, that, are, that are all screwing around near, near land. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, another example would be, you know, I, I started a business uh, uh, about six years ago and took a tremendous risk. I left, you know, my television job at the time to go do that. And when you're a small business owner, you know what makes the business go. It's sales. And if you are your own, you know, if you're a sole proprietor, if you own a business, or even if you work for somebody else, you think about making those sales calls. And people, you know, it's, oh, I don't want to make a cold call. I don't want to step out there and make a presentation. Think about the risks, the actual risks involved. The risk is in not making the call. The risk is in not making that eighth call of the day. That's the most dangerous because thing you can do or not do. Absolutely. Absolutely. So people take higher risks to allay their fears, and that leads to higher losses. We see it in the market all the time where people, you know, wait for the hot thing. I, when I tell people that I make money in the markets, you know what the first question is? Always, oh, so uh, what do you like? What do you mm-hmm. like right now? Right. Uh, what, what stock are you into? I say, that is just, that's not the way to do this. You're, you should not be out picking stocks. You shouldn't be asking people what's, or, or reading blogs and, you know, the financial press, looking for that hot thing that you think is going to make a ton of money. What you should be doing is you should get to know a core group of stocks really, really well. Do a Warren Buffett, man. Get, to, get inside of that company you know, a company that you know and understand the products, you use their products. And then even if that stock is not making big moves, you can put together a, a larger trade based on your much higher confidence. So which would you rather do? Would you rather wager a small amount on something that you're not terribly sure of? Or would you rather risk a bit more on something that you're fairly confident of? And I think that's the difference between those who are successful in the markets and those who aren't. And it translates into adventuring as well. I, I think Take it's fantastic. You know what you're saying is here. I, I just imagine like, okay, I could go surf this break. I've never seen anybody surf at this place. So um, what is it doing on particular tides? I'm going to watch it. I'm going to come and check it out yeah. and see what it's doing on particular tides, totally. particular winds and that kind of stuff. So you get to you get to learn like, okay, this is how this thing behaves. Will it will it go ass off at tea kettle one day? Yeah, probably. But there's I have a good idea of how this thing, you know, what kind of normal is in terms of its fluctuation. And when I understand that a bit more, I understand where to get in the water and, and where to stay away and, and that kind of stuff. So you start to kind of uh, marginalize or, or, you know, understand where the riskier parts are and because you understand it better. Does that make sense? That, 
that is a great analogy. Uh, sitting on the sidelines, waiting and watching for the opportunities and really getting to know something well, that's, I think, where you decrease your risk. It's not an easy road, but it is. I love what you said. It's if you're willing to take 100% responsibility. But most of us, we want that, 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 that kind of brainless automated thing. We don't want to actually apply ourselves. And I'm not, I'm not knocking guys that, that are in the standard American dream. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're not happy about it, then you got to ask why you got to ask, well, what, what am I negotiating away for, for this? And so, but if you're, if you're, if it's rocking for you, awesome. Uh, but I think this goes for anything, you know, what uh, take hundred percent responsibility for yourself. What am, what do I want to create? What am I tolerating? Um, and if there, whatever that risk is, get to know it. You know, don't just yeah. throw yourself at it. You've evolved over millions of years. You're, you're a fantastic machine, if you will. Just, you got to allow yourself the ability to listen to those instincts. And that's a real step away from the way, you know, we were brought up. But I, I think things are changing. I, I think, you know, the social safety nets that we've enjoyed for a long time, a lot of signs are pointing to a lot of that stuff going away. And right. so I think we're in the midst of a time of transition where a lot of guys and gals, by the way, are realizing you know, your future's in your own hands. Yeah. And it, and not only that, but, you know, then that means your freedom's in your own hands. You get to, like what we've been saying earlier, if, it, you, if you take 100% responsibility for it, then you get to decide where you want to go and, and start start hammering away at it. Yeah. I mean, which would you rather be doing? Would you rather be, you know, spearfishing at 90 or would you rather be, you know, sitting in a easy chair at 65 wondering which book to read? You know right. what I mean? Which would you rather do? And I'd rather be spearfishing until the day I die. Awesome. Awesome. Nick O'Kelly, he's the co-author of Live on the Margin, Learn to Love Risk, Profit from Fear, and Retire Tomorrow. We've got the links on the New Man podcast website. But where can we find out more about uh, the book and the, guy, the work that you and Pat are up to? Well, we've got to liveonthemargin.com and we've got big plans. We've, we've got, to, you know, folks have asked us to do seminars and, and stuff like that. And the truth is that Pat and I are both slackers at heart. So we'll see how fast that gets going. Uh, and you can find more information on me at uh, nickokelly.com. And Pat, Pat Schulte, uh, he's actually a pretty well-known uh, blogger. He's at uh, bumfuzzle.com. So you can find more information at any of those spots. And the book is available at all the usual places. Excellent. Hey, Nick, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate uh, you taking time out of your uh, slacker lifestyle to talk to us. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thank you so much, uh, Tripp, uh, not just for having me on, but for everything that you're doing. I, I think it makes a big difference. And I think that's all any of us can hope for in our lives. There's so much more to The New Man than these interviews. So visit thenewmanpodcast.com and join the mailing list so you never miss another update. Thanks for listening.